0: Kelly was a wild young bush ranger, out of Victoria he rode with his brother Dan. Hello and welcome to One Week, One Year, a podcast where we watch and discuss a year of film history every week, starting from 1895, the dawn of cinema, and this week we're talking about 1906. I'm your host, Chris Ellie, I'm a film projectionist, and joining me as
1: always is... I am Glenn Covell, the other host, I am a filmmaker...
0: All right. Um, now, as, uh, as you're aware from s- s- clicking on this podcast or tapping on it with your little finger. Um, <laughs> not your index finger, your little finger. Uh, uh, we're a film history podcast talking about old, old movies that are silent and copyright free. So there's a YouTube version that you may be watching now or you may not know about. And you can watch along with us. Uh and we'll have the the movies on screen and w- as we're talking about them. Uh, and there's also a playlist if you want to watch them with sound when available. Um other than that, how you doing, Glenn? What's going on?
1: Pretty uh pretty good, you know. Still just kinda hanging out. Yeah. Inside most of the time. I've started taking I started making a point to take a walk every day though, so that's that's good.
0: That, some, yeah, that's, nice that's that's nice. That's
1: good. Sun of my cheeks and all that.
0: It's not um desperately cold every day yet. It's kind of just regular cold, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I ran around with my dog yesterday, um, and it was, it was a good time. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. Is, is uh, there a
1: better sentence than I ran around with my dog?
0: <laughs> That's probably the best thing that a man can do. The dog is a man's best friend. I am a man, and no offense, but my dog is my best I don't know. I don't <laughs> Honestly, I, this always feels mean, but my dog's kind of smelly and she's always been smelly and she's also really dumb. So I don't know if I don't yeah, know if she's I my mean, best friend.
1: <laughs> those those are two things that that do come with dogs quite quite often. So.
0: No, no, she's a particularly smelly and a particularly dumb dog. <laughs> <laughs> when we first got her, I was like, this dog's smelly. And they said, nah, it'll go away. And ten years later, it has not gone away. She's just perpetually smelly. Damn. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> we like to uh, give ourselves a little context for what's happening in the year that, uh, we're, uh, that we're discussing here. Uh, so, Glenn, would you bring us in with the news of the year?
1: The news of the year, 1906. Terror on Mission Street. Earthquake ravages much of San Francisco. The world's largest ship the RMS Lusitania, is launched in Glasgow. The first Grand Prix automobile race is held in Le Mans, France. The Dreyfus Affair comes to a close with the exoneration of Alfred Dreyfus. The Grand Duchy of Finland becomes the first nation to include the right of women to stand as candidates when it adopts universal suffrage. The vaccine for tuberculosis is developed. The first radio broadcast is made from Brant Rock, Massachusetts. And that is the news oh. from 1906. Man, we've been doing this fake radio
0: voice for uh, d- I know. 10 episodes or so and yet the radio is new apparently.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, it is it has thus far been anachronistic and I'm looking forward to the time post like 1950s if we ever get that far when it yeah. becomes anachronistic again.
0: Oh, it'll be delightful. Um we could we could switch over to a uh, uh, Kron- What's his name? I was gonna say Cronkaw, but that's not right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, the the famed newscaster Walter Cronkaw, who was who was uh, who has risen from the depths after an atomic explosion.
0: Yeah, it kind of sounds like a Incredible Hulk type thing.
1: Um, yeah, <laughs> Cron- Cronkite is the guy you're thinking of.
0: Cronkite. Brokaw, that's what I was doing.
1: Yeah. yeah. I was, when Cronkite when when uh Walter Cronkite <laughs> and Tom Brokaw go into a telepod together, they they, they come out as 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 Craw uh, <laughs> Combining the strengths of both.
0: Yeah. To make the best newscaster ever. Yeah. Uh <laughs> shall we start with Georges
1: Méliès? Of course. He's you know, he's the the man of the hour. Uh as he has been for the last decade of film, basically. He's the best. He's so good. Yeah.
0: Um, his big movie this year, biggest movie this year probably, was The mm. Merry Frolics of Satan.
1: Yeah. Definitely the one that is sort of like the most iconic of his movies this year. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and
0: familiar subject matter for Melies. Yeah. Alchemists, Satan, Satan pulling tricks on people. Great. <laughs> it it
1: almost it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, I think it was the Impossible Voyage in that it kind of feels like like a greatest hits film a little bit of yeah, like yeah yeah here's just a bunch of stuff that you you know and love from mm-hmm. Melies movies it's got Satan it's got wizards it's got <laughs> travel it's got volcanoes it's got you know kitchen chaos
0: yeah yeah this is literally that's that's a good. It's a good description it's the greatest hits uh, it's not as focused as a lot of his other movies but it just hits you over and over again with fun stuff yeah um which yeah. which i appreciated and it's got a lot of great effects in it um it's kind of a an extravaganza
1: it is yeah i think extravaganza is a very appropriate uh, <laughs> uh label to put on this one um there are a lot of uh i thought a lot of really cool kind of like mechanical and practical effects in this one
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Um, um, which is something that Malia's is great at, but isn't necessarily like. And I, I feel like you kind of people kind of think of, like his his visual effects. Um,
0: yeah, his visual effects are always kind of bolstered by strong chops in theatrics and uh, mm-hmm. like practical theatrics. Uh, I yeah. think that's why his stuff ends up being a lot more polished than everyone else.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of like acrobatics and and like, cool like set things that well like trap doors and stuff
0: yeah there's a, a, a particularly um i think there was a gag in one of his earlier movies where someone was sitting on a chair and the chair all of a sudden got really tall and then he was <laughs> sitting on this like this chair that was 10 feet tall or something um and in the previous movie he did it with a jump cut i think um but in this one he's got the chair legs that go underneath the stage, yeah. and then it pushes the guy all the way up. Uh, and, so, and so it's the chair legs just extending out of the stage. It's really fun. It's a really yeah. fun effect.
1: And and a good example of, of Melia is kind of iterating on previous effects and, mm-hmm. and gags and things.
0: Um, yeah, the basic deal of this is that uh, there is a an inventor named William Crackford who um, <laughs> <laughs> who uh, is visited by and he's, he's this inventor who has all these like dirigibles and strange objects uh, pl- and blueprints and stuff hanging in his office and he's visited by this uh, this alchemist's assistant who says like, "Hey, um, leave alone your ridiculous machines and follow me to my master is the, uh, is the official uh, text from the Bonamo. Um, and, uh, so he comes into this alchemist's lab, and they get assaulted by strange objects like that chair, (laughs) um, and so, so the alchemist uh, sells them these magic pills, basically, that will just create, uh, uh, whatever, like, kind of summon, summon all sorts of things, and, and he sells them, he, he, uh. He foists over some money for them, and uh, as soon as the guys leave, uh, Crackford and his assistant, uh, the alchemist and his assistant, turn into Satan, and the alchemist's uh, uh, little little lab lab techs uh, turn into the imps, of course, that represent <laughs> the seven deadly sins. Also, according to the Bonamont.
1: Wow, I didn't I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, it's not really
0: direct in the movie, but mm. I'd I'd like to have more access to the 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 Bonhamaw um, uh, text because it's kind of yeah. hard to find, um, and it's really helpful mm. in a lot of these cases because uh, this is stuff that is intended to be read along with the movies. Um, thankfully, right. I have the Blu-ray that uh, has a guy reading it, which is nice. Um, but uh, he so the guy the, William Crackford, he takes the stuff back to his apartment and he just throws the pills on the ground and conjures all these crazy things uh, and all these crazy things look cool but end up being a little sinister um, <laughs> <laughs> then he goes on a big trip and uh, the devil is, is is trying to foil him through his entire trip and he is trying to prevent him from being able to eat food for the entire trip so that uh, he goes hungry and suffers um, because he dealt with the devil yeah, um, and then I guess at the end he drags him down to hell, which is great,
1: <laughs> and roasts him on a spit.
0: <laughs> it's so good.
1: Yeah, it's uh, that that image in particular was was uh, macabre enough that I, I was a little bit surprised. i just like, wow, that's that's an image to end the movie on. <laughs> yeah.
0: but Melies loves the devil, man. Like that's the thing is that this movie doesn't really take any kind of moral stance. Um, it's just, the devil likes playing tricks, we enjoy watching yeah. the devil play tricks, up to and including roasting a guy on a spit. Yeah. Like, this is all fun.
1: <laughs> well, it's also, like, I, I do feel with a lot of these kind of devil movies, um, part of it is, like, kind of, you know, Melies has done a couple, uh, direct adaptations of, of the Faust story. Uh-huh, And yeah. that whole kind of thing of, like, you, you made a deal with the devil, now you gotta, you know pay up
0: yeah literally the whole thing of this is that he didn't read the contract well enough that he sold over his soul yeah um because he thought he was just buying some cool pills from a guy you know yeah which is how a lot of tragic stories end
1: classic classic story of you know getting involved in supernatural shenanigans because you didn't read the fine print you know this this movie the santa claus it's (laughs) it's all over
0: (laughs) it turns out that we've already all sold our souls after we uh pressed okay on the itunes eula but it's true
1: (laughs) um uh another movie about a sort of deal gone wrong i guess that milieu made
0: oh man though i want to i want to mention that there's this one scene in this in this movie that's just Mm. beautiful which is um uh so Satan has like finally kind of taken them over fully and he turns them, he like turns their horse and carriage into this like skeletal horse, uh, and like creepy bone carriage or whatever. And they, they, (laughs) he pushes, he pushes them in the carriage into a volcano and the volcano blasts them out just as they fall in and it, it rockets them into the sky. And there's this really beautiful sequence where they're just kind of, coasting through the cosmos and they're seeing like all of this interesting stuff like float by them and it's it's a really cool it's using a double exposure to just have this background of objects moving along behind them and uh and they're they're moving to the left and everything's moving to the right and so they just have this this really good like dimensionality to it uh and it's a long scene but it's like a really visually rich scene which i liked
1: oh yeah it's a I mean, this whole movie is a, a feast for the eyes, but that yeah. I do think that scene in particular is is kind of a highlight, um, yeah. and it's a very, like you said, it's a very beautiful scene and kind of an oddly serene one for this movie.
0: Yeah, considering that they're like about to go to hell, you know. Yeah,
1: and that they're in a you know a bone carriage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I just it's such a hard time getting a read on Melies's opinions on things. I think he just likes like he's not really anti-devil
1: you know no but yeah he he likes um he he, i do get the sense he just likes sort of like imaginative like fantastical things yeah um but also he has a very strong kind of like sense of humor and sense of like uh dramatic irony and Mm. and kind of uh a, a mischievousness i think that goes yeah. along with a lot of the devil stuff of, like, playing tricks and, and fooling people and disguises and that kind of thing.
0: Play- Being a magician, he probably is very familiar
1: with the black arts. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, Another movie that Meliers made this year, another sort of, like, big extravagant movie that he made that also deals with, like, w- deals gone wrong and, mm-hmm. like, mischievous supernatural beings i guess is the witch um okay. the the other title for like the the french title translated english is the fairy Carabosse and the fatal uh uh pu- poinard poinard it's a it's a sword gotcha um I'm, I'm sure i'm butchering that name but but yeah the english release was just the witch um <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, this one I really dug. I thought this one was very fun. Um, and it, it I think raises kind of more of a moral question than the Murray Frolics of Satan. True. Yeah. Um, cause it's kind of like it starts out as like this guy comes to a witch um, and kind of uh, kind of tricks her into giving him uh,
0: a magic four-leaf clover
1: yeah um and as as payment he kind of tricks her into thinking he has a bag of money that is in fact just a bunch of dirt (laughs) um and then you know he's off to like yeah i
0: wrote never trick a witch yeah is the the
1: moral of this story he's then off like save a princess uh with the magic four-leaf clover with the witch in pursuit angry Mm -hmm. that she's been ripped off um and it, you know from there on it kind of follows a pretty classic kind of fairy tale plot um but the whole time there is this thing of like our supposed hero i guess of this story is kind of a huge jackass for tricking yeah. this this old woman um that he bought a clover off of with yeah dirt. literally
0: literally he just you know she's just trying to offer her services and uh, <laughs> as yeah, a, like- as the local witch
1: like, she doesn't immediately sort of do anything, like, sinister towards him to sort of uh, justify his, like, trickery. You know, it's not like she's clearly, like, eating babies in the back room or anything. It's just, she's just a an old woman with a bunch of magic stuff. Yeah. And he's like, I can't... And you af- should appreciate that and I respect can't, it. I can't afford this, so I'm just going <laughs> to trick her into give me this for dirt. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's it's got... A bunch of a bunch of really cool scenes of like mm-hmm. ghosts and druids and monsters and
0: Yeah, he gets attacked by um, like a creepy owl and a frog and a snake and a dragon
1: all at the same time. Yeah. Um, um it's fun. Yeah, the, the the sets in this one really kind of stuck out to me as like really, really cool. Um Uh one funny thing about this movie that I read is that it was commissioned by a department store in France keep kids entertained while their parents shopped. What? Which is they wh- had like a theater in the department store? I guess so. Like but that is such a wild thing to think about. Um That is weird. I guess like film was sort of enough of then as sort of like like a novelty kind of uh not like a side show thing, but something that I guess you could theoretically just like have a room in a department store like watch this movie about a witch yeah and also Um, it'll just keep the kids entertained for what 15 minutes i guess so yeah uh Mm. i don't buy buy a couple things in 15 minutes but it did make (laughs) me think like what if what if what if sears had commissioned avatar (laughs) like it's such a goofy (laughs) idea did you know that porco
0: rosso was commissioned by a japanese airline really yes
1: so that people would just have a love of aviation and flying and want to fly places
0: so i think originally porco rosso was going to be like exclusively shown on their flights if i'm not mistaken interesting uh and then it was supposed to be like less than an hour long like 45 minutes long or something like that and then it Mm -hmm. ended up ballooning into a bigger project and getting released theatrically i think a lot of it was still underwritten by by an airline
1: wow cool
0: good um porco is great Another thing that happens in this movie, um, is, like, there's kind of, like, a good spirit, uh, who assists this guy. Uh, Another theme in Melies' movies is that, uh, uh good there there bad people like witches and there are good people who appear and grant you swords usually um, <laughs> that is
1: that is a common occurrence in milheas movies
0: and so there's this guy that looks like karl marx that <laughs> who, because he's like this big bearded guy who's holding a sickle uh, right and, yeah uh and he gives him this sprig to ward off the creatures and then king arthur who looks like king arthur or something gives him a sword um And, uh, he, uh, he rescues this lady from the, from the tower and, uh, and saves her from the witch, I guess. I don't, I don't, I don't don't know if those things are related. I don't think they are.
1: I think she was just being held captive in the tower unrelated to anything else. And then the witch is just, uh, in pursuit. Yeah. (laughs) Um, there is a a really cool shot of the witch flying on her broomstick. Yeah. Kind of done in in the same kind of double exposure, like moving backdrop way. Mm Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah, similar to the like parallax thing that they did in uh Mary Fox of Satan.
1: Yeah. Uh, um the the witch is killed by a a rocket sword. Yeah. Um <laughs> that shoots sparks at the back and flies through the air. Um and then she falls off a cliff. Um Poor you witch! You know, fun fun stuff. One thing yeah. that um I guess more than one thing While I was kind of reading about both this and Mary Frolics of Satan, um, I came upon uh, a pretty illuminating discovery, I guess, Hmm. that um, this and really most of Meilliers' kind of big movies are kind of a descendant or part of this uh, French genre of theater, the, uh, I guess, just fairy plays or fairy operas, Mm -hmm. um, or fairies if if Mm. you want to get technical. I do. Um, uh, Ferries were uh, fantasy plays. that used a lot of kind of stage effects and dancing and pantomime and acrobatics and, you know, all the things that we're used to seeing in in Melies movies. Uh, But they they started in like the early 1800s um, and are kind of not quite ballet and not quite opera and it's kind of this like mix of all of these different things um but i remember i think last week we were talking about how like there's some like interpretive dance in these movies there's like oh yeah the idea of like uh i don't know the idea of gold is represented by these like gold golden dancing girls or something yeah yeah um and that is ve- that's like a very big part of of uh the the fairy uh, genre, so
0: kind of just like metaphorical stuff, being yeah, and like shown as dance
1: or or just interpretive, yeah, motion. just very kind of surreal, like fantastical stuff like that. Um, oh. There's also like the the thing that we've sort of been noting of like kind of the big uh, sort of curtain call scenes at the end of a lot of these. Yeah. Also, also comes from that. Um, and there's even a name for it, which is the apothe, apotheosis,
0: the apotheosis,
1: apotheosis. Thank you for correcting yeah. my, my terrible pronunciation. No problem. Uh, uh, the apotheosis. Um, and yeah, that is like from, I mean, it's, it's something in, in paintings also, but it is, uh, a, a, like a common staple of, of, uh, the fairy genre, if you want to get technical. Um, <laughs> But in like in reading about all of the different plays, I, I, I there were so many uh, sort of parallels with Melies' movies. Um, like there's photos and drawings from the like the the 1800s um, that look like they could be just screen grabs from a Melies' movie. Hmm. Um, like there's
0: they're they're photos of the plays themselves, and they're very lavish. You're saying like yeah, like I, a Melies I, kind of fantastic. I
1: don't know if I ever if I found any actual photos, but there were a lot of drawings. I think I found, like, one photo from one. I didn't do that much research. Um, but, yeah, just in the, like, the artistic style and the kind of, uh, like, the staging of them, too. I've, like... I don't know. I was just like, oh, this just looks like a Malia's movie. Right. Um, there is a, a drawing from the sheet music of a, uh, a fairy play... Uh, which is *Trip to the Moon*? That is is just the the shot of the of the cannon sort of pointing out. Oh wow! Uh, towards the moon. Um, so so it's more of an adaptation in a lot of ways, then. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't like I don't want to kind of take take away George's thunder too much, but it did <laughs> make me kind of think like, oh, like this isn't just him. Like he is he is sort of continuing this, like, long-standing French theatrical tradition.
0: I think that might explain why um, some of these other French people, like Gaston Vell and um, uh, maybe to a lesser extent uh, Ferdinand Zecca uh, and Segundo de Chamon, mm-hmm. uh, who is not French, but is very is kind of partly French, I think, mm. um, why they're... I feel like they have a bit more of that fantastical style um, and they have a bit more of a grasp on that kind of thing than other other people do, the Brits or the Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, something I was noticing this year, it's not directly related, but that um, uh, a lot of people are kind of trying to go really far with their effects lately. They're, they're shooting for the moon with them, you know? No pun intended. <laughs> um, but uh, the the French... The, the the Europeans in general, but the French in particular, uh, they can cover up the seams in their special in their rough special effects uh, by making it more of a cartoony fairy tale reality, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I I will talk about this later, but I noticed that in what did I notice that in what was that movie? The Huh? motorist,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> the motorist. It's not even it's the motorist. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Whereas, like in a lot of American movies, when they're trying to do really fanciful special effects, it looks shoddy because they don't have one. They're not as good at it, and two, they don't have this fantastical reality that is covering up in your in your eyes the seams in a lot of these effects. Yeah, Um, like something looking cartoony uh, in the background feels more natural than uh, you know a, a, a thing that's pretending to be realistic. It's an uncanny valley kind of thing,
1: you Yeah. Know? Yeah, when when like a like a, a wooden cut-out whale just kind of pops into frame in a Meliers movie, exactly. it doesn't feel out of place because everything around it is already so kind of heightened and and fantastical.
0: It it makes it a much more cohesive picture. Yeah. In, for a lot of these things. Um if Melies were going for realism, I don't think he'd be anywhere near as good. Uh, it's just also yeah. not where his chops are, you know?
1: Mm. Although, nice, se- of, nice segue here.
0: Thanks, I didn't intend that.
1: Uh, he does kind of branch out this year into doing some some more kind of grounded movies. Movies that were shot, gasp, outside.
0: I know it's so strange. It's, <laughs> it's wild. Weird. It's yeah. weird to see a Melies movie that looks like this.
1: Yeah, um, but also he kind of kills it. It's these, good. These are great. Yeah, incomplete as they may be.
0: <laughs> um, incomplete meaning, by the way, that uh, oh, half of half or so of both of these movies we're about to talk about are lost. Yeah. Um, but uh, a desperate crime. A desperate I guess crime. Is, the, the most immediate concern here. Yeah. Um, it's, it it's very strange. <laughs> yeah. In that, in that it's not strange. Um, it's, <laughs> uh, it's Melies making an American style movie, but. Yeah. Doing, doing a great job at it, you know, yeah. but it's also kind of a stealth remake of history
1: of a crime too. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it, it, it reminded me very much of, history of a crime since it's it's roughly the same plot but sort of expanded and kind of made a bit more fantastical not fantastical but i guess more like action-packed i don't know um
0: yeah there's this like big quarry outside um and there are some miners working at the quarry uh what exactly happens there's some well
1: the first half i think is the part that is missing yeah. So a lot of the setup to this is the part that you kind of just have to read up on and and imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's yeah, it's like some some bandits, uh, like attack a town, right?
0: Yeah, more or less. And um, and there there begins this chase through these like wide open outdoor scenes in this yeah. big quarry and and uh like across these mountains um and
1: not like in miniature like it's a little cut out like going across like six mountains it's like <laughs> right, not people outside to. running up and down the sides of mountains
0: yeah and so this uses like a lot of um you know his his movies are so uh uh locked into this theatrical perspective most of the time and it uses a lot more wide out open shots. It uses more dynam- more kind of z-axis tran- uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, compositions. Yeah. Um, it it, be- it becomes a bit of a chase. Uh, the chimney sweep, uh, what we're talking about in a second, has a much more extended chase scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the chase genre and the crime genre are, are getting big, and the the conception is that. Melies was sort of trying to get in on these big genres that were happening especially with gaumont films which mm-hmm. uh who were his main competitor at this point
1: um which is kind of crazy that really up until this point pretty much everyone else has kind of been aping off of Melies. yeah for a lot for a lot of the time um and this is really kind of one of the first times we've seen Melies kind of see see what other people were doing and try to incorporate that into his own his own films yeah, um, um, and also doing it, still doing it better than them.
0: True. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, what ends up happening is after the crooks get caught, it becomes pretty much exactly history of a crime from a yeah. couple years ago. The Zeka movie, um, the uh, it, it's it's very melodramatic. Uh, there's the guy is in a jail cell and he dreams not rather than history of a crime where the guy dreams of his pre, his past life and the decisions that led him up to his uh, coming execution this guy has a dream of the guillotine that he's about to go to from yeah. inside the jail cell and also rather than being a uh, a kind of I don't know what you would call it, like a vignette sort of mm-hmm. frame uh it's incorporated into the background and so there's like bricks and stuff and it's, uh <sighs> it's like peeling away the the wall behind him to show his visions. Oh, it's so it's good. super cool
1: <laughs> yeah it's definitely like uh melier's take on this story i guess feels kind of a lot more i guess lurid than Zecca's. zekka's is sort of this like impassioned like moral tale this yeah. guy like seeing the error of his ways and then being led to his death, and it's it's very sort of poetic and dramatic. Whereas Maliers is just like, oh, and then he sees his death coming, and then you know, and then <laughs> sort of him being led to the guillotine in the Zeca one is sort of this thing of the the doors opening it's very dramatically, somber. yeah. It's very somber and him being led away to his death. We don't, I don't think we actually see it in the the Zeka one, do we? Maybe you do. I don't remember. I think it just kind of ends right there. Right. Yeah. Melies is like, no no, we're going to see this guy's head come off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he is a he he has a big history with heads getting removed oh, yeah, in removed, some way or another, put so put back on,
1: being thrown up in the air, <laughs> duplicated. So, um, how is he
0: going to have a movie with a guillotine without a head coming off? Yeah. Exactly.
1: Um, classic classic film effect, the beheading. Yeah. Arguably the true. first film effect ever. Uh, um, I would
0: not argue with that.
1: Uh yeah, one one thing about this is, like, as similar as it does feel to, like, a Zeka, or at times even, like, some of Edwin S. Porter's stuff. hmm Yeah. Um, it, it really moves. I mean, I know, like, half of it is missing, so that might be yeah. one reason why it really feels kind of <laughs> quick. Um, but still, it like, it's very, it's very, like, action-packed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, uh... There's actually there's one bit where the, the, the French police are, like, breaking into the the bandits' hideout that I think might be referenced in Wes Anderson's new movie that hasn't been released yet. Oh. Huh. Um, there's a shot in the trailer of a bunch of French police, like, busting in through the walls of a room. And it's, ah. it's framed very much like a Melies scene of just... I mean, Wes Anderson, I think, has a lot of that style already anyway yeah but i immediately was reminded of that of like oh huh i wonder if wonder if wes is kind of you know doing a little, a little uh, homage to uh to george here
0: that would be really that'd be that'd be nice i bet he would i mean i i think that you know people talk people people respect george Melies, but i think maybe people don't respect him enough you know, he's not talked about enough, IMO. Um, IMHO. Uh, <laughs> I'm HO. uh, I, uh yeah. TBQFH. <laughs> I
1: I I kind of agree. It's I mean, I've always I've known about Maiers for a long time being a a student of, of of film um cinema. Indeed. Uh, but yeah, definitely like going back and like actually watching way more of his movies rather than just like the two or three that I'd seen before. It really is like he's so innovative, and so like, and his movies hold up compared to a lot of the other ones coming out yeah. at the same time. S. <coughs> Porter,
0: um, it... we'll, we'll we'll get to
1: him, um, uh, which is
0: why he's the star of our podcast,
1: right? Yeah, the star film.
0: I feel like we must have made that joke. Oh, we, I think
1: we've made it every episode. So um, the other incomplete chase outside movie that Milieu's made this year was Mm -hmm. The Chimney Sweep.
0: Yep. Uh, Which a lot of this is... This seems like it probably was a bit more of a slow paced movie Mm -hmm. than than, um, A Desperate Crime. I think it was over 20 minutes or about 20 minutes long, but only about half of that survives still. And um, The idea is there's this poor kid who's a chimney sweep. He's dreaming of a fairy tale land where he's... special and important in the king um and it's hard to tell if um if the actual movie begins with this fairy tale and then it pulls back out and you find out it's all a dream and then the movie continues or if there's a lost part before that that sets up uh that this fairy tale um
1: is is a dream yeah i mean the Um, the incomplete version of it kind of plays that way where it's like the first thing you see is the fairy tale land and then it's sort of like you get yanked back into reality a bit i i i got the impression that that was not how it was initially how it probably not that would be pretty jarring yeah I, i imagine
0: um so there's this poor kid who's a chimney sweep he dreams of a better life uh and but but he doesn't have one. He goes to work the next day, and he finds... Uh, he climbs up inside the chimney, and he finds some treasure that was just randomly stashed inside of the chimney.
1: Uh, I mean, this... I was somewhat confused by this, whether or not he randomly finds it, or whether or not it was, like... His chimney sweep boss, like, went to a rich person's house and sent him up the chimney to get their, like, hidden money that is it, might entirely be me, my own projection but
0: it seems like there was in that gaggle of people chasing after him after he grabbed the money it seemed like there was one person who was on his side and maybe that was the maybe that was his boss
1: i, I kind of got the impression that he had like this his boss is like kind of a shady character mhm <laughs> and so he he sends this like chimney sweep boy up into the chimney to get the treasure and then the kid just runs off with it Leading to like the big, you know, the big chase at the end.
0: Yeah, and it becomes a it becomes a British style chase movie. Uh, yeah, where uh, he picks up more and more people trying to chase him as he <laughs> as he goes through different environments. It uses uh, uh, it uses forward and backward motion, which yeah. almost never happens in Melies movies. <laughs> yeah, um, and it ends. I don't think it ended ended because there's stuff missing, but it ended right. with him uh, climbing up to the top of a building and everybody kind of
1: uh,
0: alongside the building uh, yeah. trying to get at him.
1: Um, yeah. I think there, that isn't the original ending, right? There's more, there was supposed to be more after that that is now I, I think so. Yeah. Um, this one, unlike a desperate crime is, is pretty heavy on the, like the ballet and kind of yeah. uh, like magic. Which I kind of tuned out a little bit stuff. for. There's, <laughs> there was a,
0: uh, there's well, an extended Dancing sequence. Yeah. There, there were uh, no, there
1: were no uh, shrimp nights in this one. So it, no, give yeah. me the shrimp
0: nights. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and then another. I don't know if we we can now use our our transitionary Melies film. Um,
0: well one one that I want to quickly mention uh, is that there's this movie called The Mysterious Retort, um, uh, which uh, uh we don't have to talk about it too much. It's a pretty simple alchemist uh trick film that he's done uh but there this movie is usually credited as a hallucinated alchemist uh from 1897 and i remember Mm. we were looking at this in the 1897 episode and going this is way too advanced like this there's there's no way damn this is that one. this is that one yeah
1: yeah it makes a lot more sense in 1906 for
0: sure yeah like this it works. It works yeah. at this time. It may, it, it, the effects the effects uh, are are uh, accurate. But yeah, when we when we watched this two years after movies were invented, yeah, uh, it, it seemed a little fishy. <laughs> no, no way.
1: Um, yeah, this is. I mean, this isn't really that special. It's got a cool spider face and some explosions and a the goofy snake prop that Melies loves to, loves to use and reuse.
0: Yeah. Um, that, that, that skeleton horse was a reused prop too. Oh really? Yeah. He did it in that like insane asylum movie that had the black face in it.
1: Oh, Oh wow. That was, that was yeah. a while ago.
0: Yeah. Um, um, one, but the, the thing that I learned from this is I didn't know what a retort was. And it's a, <laughs> it's, a it's a, it's a, it's not, the 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 rhetorical retort. It is a uh, a beaker of some kind that is used for distillation and oh. alchemists like them. And that's the that's the big mm. bobble thing that he has yeah. in the center of it. Bobble, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but
0: what we, what we really want to talk about is the tramp and the mattress makers. Great, great stuff. Which I just wrote nightmare fuel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> really? Yes. Nightmare fuel.
0: The setup of this movie is that a guy falls asleep inside of a mattress and then gets sewn inside the
1: mattress. Oh, yeah, true. That, that is that is quite frightening. Um, um, it, is, it is played very... Uh, it's very played silly very way. silly. Yeah. yeah.
0: He goes around and... So he gets sewn inside of a mattress and then he goes around and terrorizes everyone as Mattress Man.
1: Right. Um, Although he only... I feel like he only spends a pretty brief amount of time in the actual mattress before he kind of yeah. busts out of it. Um yeah, that's true. and then just like throws chairs at, at the cops chasing him.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's a not just a man but a but a kind of hobo who doesn't like yeah. cops.
1: Well a a, a tramp.
0: Yes. twentieth um, century tramp.
1: Yeah. I mean this one is very is very slapsticky. Yes. Um yeah it's fun. A couple things that did stand out to me about it though is it has an intertitle, which is not mm-hmm. Not usual for Meliers. and it's it's trilingual, which is cool. Um, a nice exam- example of well, it's an example of like the international audience of yes that he's he's going for.
0: Yeah, the the inter and it's and it's an intertitle that um is dialogue as well, which is r- mm. still pretty rare for this time. Yeah, um, I feel like in the future intertitles will primarily be used for dialogue. Yeah. Um. Uh, But it's, it's the guy saying good health, which I guess is Mm. him cheersing, cheersing
1: you. Uh, Um, and and then it it
0: transitions to like a facial afterward. Yeah. Um, Like a,
1: like a, like a portrait ending. Yeah. Um, sort of like, um, Great Train Robbery or Mm -hmm. some of the other, uh, American movies. Uh,
0: but it reminds me of that, that George Albert Smith movie. Uh, that's just a up of the drinking man. Yeah. Um. It's just the the tramp that's just, like, making faces and at the camera and being silly and, and drinking. <laughs> and yeah. That's
1: how the movie ends. Uh, also notable about this movie is it is one of two films released this year about someone being drunkenly <laughs> sewn into a mattress. What? What? <laughs> I don't know if this was a, a big problem at the time, but... Uh...
0: Imagine? That would be so funny if there were just a rash of people... Leave, leaving their mattresses unattended and hobos falling asleep. I wonder if it
1: was them, like, know? like some weird local news story that just mm. got picked up. Um, but, uh, Elise a Florida Alise man, Guy, but it's
0: more of a Lyon man. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the Florida of France. Um, let's say it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Elise Guy or Elise Guy Blachet, as she was known later in life. Um, Not quite
0: yet, but, but soon. Yeah. I haven't. Been I think attention. she's married in 1907. Oh, okay. and Becomes Elise Guy Blanchet.
1: Um. But she directed a film called The Drunken Mattress. Yep. Um. It's a lot longer and kind of more plot heavy.
0: I like it. I like it better. Me I like, too. I like yeah. the Drunken Mattress a lot. Yeah. Um. It's also really slapsticky, but it gets like dark with the. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. With the, with the violence of the of the slapstick.
1: Well, th- this one almost, I think the feels more. Uh, like, in line with the nightmare fuel of being yes. sewn into a mattress and then awful, awful things happening to you. <laughs> um, a quick aside, uh, all this mattress talk did remind me of a little anecdote from, uh, my college days. Mm-hmm. When, uh, my film professor, who is from Venezuela, um, and has a very, very thick accent, was trying, was trying to describe a movie to the class. And, uh, said you have seen the film Matrice? and we're like mattress no like and it's it wasn't unusual for him to like bring up some weird obscure movie that no one had heard of before he's a weird guy i i've met him um months. and so uh so you know we're all like mattress you know like tell us more what is this movie mattress and he's like the film Matrice, you have you have not seen Matrice? and we're like no like what is it and he goes with keanu reeves mattress and we're like Oh, you mean the Matrix with Keanu Reeves? And he goes, "Yes, the Matrix." <laughs> uh, and so that is just something that uh, I, I I carry with me every day.
0: And and it took you a long time to find out that he was from Venezuela, right? Because he wouldn't he wouldn't say for the longest time.
1: Um, I guess not. Yeah, because he, he he won't tell you. About, it was a mystery. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. But anyway. Um. <laughs> So this film, the Drunken Matrix, yes, um, the Drunken Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, is, there is also, I mean, I think sort of the the lead character of the Meliers film is the drunk guy. Uh
0: huh. Whereas this yeah. kind
1: of has, uh, um, uh, like, a central protagonist. Yeah, of... the, the
0: mattress, the mattress maker. Yeah, um, is she
1: a mattress maker? Or is she like a mattress? Uh,
0: oh, you know. She might have been, like, airing out a mattress or cleaning it or something yeah. like that. Yeah.
1: Um, I got the, the sense almost that she was more like a uh, like a housekeeper. Yeah. And she, she's been tasked to repair this mattress and take mm-hmm. it out into a field. And unfortunately, a, a drunkard approaches from out of the
0: wilderness. <laughs> and he goes, ooh, ooh, nice bed. And he just falls asleep within the mattress.
1: Yeah. That is, I did, I do love that shot, though. There's this wide shot where the 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 lead woman she doesn't have a name i don't think is is sewing up a mattress in the foreground in the background we see this guy kind of stumbling <laughs> closer and closer and closer to the camera and then she gets distracted and walks off and he you know decides that this mattress looks like a good a good place to spend the day it looks like it's about like 9 a.m he's
0: been up all night yeah
1: um and so then she sews him into the mattress, and starts carrying it home, and hijinks ensue.
0: Yeah, it's it's very difficult to carry this mattress, because there's a drunken, sleeping man inside, <laughs> though she doesn't know that. Um, but the mattress starts kind of acting a little weird, um, and fidgeting around. Yeah. Uh, and um, so she's, she's kind of having a tough time carrying it, and she walks along the side of a bridge, and drops the mattress. <laughs> the mattress kind of squiggles out of her hand and uh, it falls f- like 40 or 50 feet off of this bridge like, <laughs> onto the ground. Yeah. Uh, it slams into the ground and you're just imagining the guy inside. <laughs> you're like, oh, this guy's um, dead. now. Yeah. And then it gets run over by a car and tangled <laughs> into the wheels of the car. Um, and she picks it up. She keeps going and there's a guy digging a hole cause that's what they did back in the day was they just dug holes. Of course. Uh, she falls into the hole with the mattress as if it's a grave or something like that. <laughs> um, and you know, they almost get buried alive inside of the hole, ber- sewn into a mattress and then buried under the, <laughs> under, under the earth yeah. within the mattress. That is
1: some nightmare fuel for sure.
0: It's, um, it's a very soft, cushy coffin. Uh, yeah, and finally, uh, they, they pull her out of the hole and finally she makes it back, uh, to the, the, the family who, uh, whose mattress, whose mattress it is. Yeah. yeah. She puts the mattress down. This guy is probably just unconscious and <laughs> he's probably sobered up, but just too beat up to even yeah. see left from right. Um, but the, the couple tries to lie down and sleep on it. And then this mattress just animates and <laughs> starts jumping around. And they, they, they freak out. And they jump out of the bed. And they start hitting the mattress with chairs. And, and then they throw the mattress out the window. Their demonic mattress. Um, and finally the guy the guy comes out.
1: <laughs> right. I, I definitely thought when they threw it out the window it was going to land on the the mattress maker. Um. Mm, yeah. I'm glad I that would... did not happen. Yeah. She um, doesn't deserve that. <laughs> she's been through enough already. <laughs> um. Yeah. It's other than the kind of the central premise, I guess it doesn't feel that similar to the Malles movie. Um, I mean, it's
0: about the hijinks of someone getting inside a mattress, but this is this expands on the idea a lot yeah. more and a lot better. I um,
1: think. Yeah. Aliski uh, definitely kind of rings more jokes out of it.
0: You know, I was thinking about how, especially in light of uh, a couple of the other movies that she's made this year, um, a lot of the directors coming out at this time have a very distinct style, like Melies, certainly. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, some of the Brits have have very distinct styles. I feel like Guy Blanchet, like, she's, it's not that she's, because she's often very good uh but she's almost kind of chameleon in in what she's making. Yeah. Um, um she's she makes this very very silly movie, but then uh you know com- her her big film this year is very somber and serious. Yeah. Uh Unless you had something else to say about about Mattress.
1: Uh I don't um but yeah, I mean I I don't know if I've ever like kind of put it into that Structure of a thought before, but I agree that like uh Aliski does not kind of stick to a single lane as much as a lot of other people like her films are kind of more uh more diverse in that way like she'll do yeah. just this year like multiple very silly comedic slapstick movies, and then this like you know religious epic,
0: yeah um I saw someone online call it her Magnum opus and it is really? the birth, the life, and the death of Christ. It's it, another it, long Jesus
1: movie. Yeah, it does focus mostly on one of these. Yes. The birth um, and the life go by pretty quick. <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll say that, like, if you... The, the I mean, in a clear comparison with this movie is the Ferdinand Zecca um, mm-hmm. Passion, The Life and Passion of Christ uh, from 1905, I guess, 1903 to 1905. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, this one's a little shorter. And both of them, I think, focus on scenes from the Bible or scenes from Jesus's life that are a bit more deep cuts than than usual, I would say. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that I'm an expert on Jesus, but um, uh, there was stuff those, that I hadn't heard Jesus of in this movie. Jesus deep cuts. There are Jesus deep cuts in this. Um, Jesus dropping the
1: fire, you know? Um, (laughs) Is Jesus getting stabbed one of the deep cuts? Ha! Is that insensitive?
0: He's dead. It doesn't matter. Comedy comedy plus tragedy equals time, you know? (laughs) Um, So, this is her movie and Zekka's movie are both pretty serious. Um mm-hmm. but like you were saying, this focuses a lot more on the classic Jesus parts. It it's the it's yeah. the classic Jesus thing of he's a baby and then he's an adult. Yeah. Uh, uh, it skips over the adolescent period that Zekka focuses a bit more on.
1: Yeah, even though I'm I'm all for movies being shorter, I guess. Um That that was something I liked about the Zekka one was that it, it sort of uh it felt, I don't know, like, it wasn't just playing the hits. It was sort of like, here's all this other stuff that, like, no one ever talks about. And it's like, this is cool. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't see this that much. Yeah. Um, whereas this one is, like, half of this movie, I feel like, is the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Or, like, the betrayal, and then crucifixion is, like, a, a large chunk of it. Um, and so that isn't that isn't, like, a knock against it. I mean, that's probably what most people, when they go to see a movie about Jesus, come to see. Weirdly enough, um, it's like we want to see the part where he dies and gets tortured. I mean, it's the whole point, right? Um, uh, and yeah, this, so this one, I guess, is a little bit. I don't even know if I'd say it's more traditional, but um, um, yeah, it is. It's it's maybe a little bit more sensationalist,
0: I guess. It's it's sensational about the violence definitely. Yeah. Uh I feel like it's it's not like the Zecca Jesus movie was crazy or whatever, but this one feels a little more subdued in mm. certain ways. Um it's got like a kind of long like courtroom scene with Pontius Pilate and all of that. Right. Um it's uh, it's 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 very just kind matter of matter-of-fact and plain, I think. Um Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good. There is, um, this has title cards for each of the different scenes.
0: Yeah. And they're being held up by little angels. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, and, uh, there was, there was one scene that I, I guess it was a Jesus deep cut that I was not familiar with, which is the scene in the Olive Garden, (laughs) (laughs) which did make me laugh very much. And also thinking about the Olive Garden made me hungry. I had to stop the movie and go eat. Um, did you go to the Olive Garden? I did not. I don't think they're I've, open. I've never been to the um, Olive Garden. It's pasta, whatever. Um.
0: What's up, pasta pals? Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, Talk I, I, I mean, cuts. I guess... <laughs> uh,
0: because I was so struck by this Olive Garden thing, I had to look it up a little bit. It's uh, it's also known as Gethsemane, and it is the place where Jesus was arrested. Oh. Um was was within the olive garden. I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna usually... open
1: a, a rival chain of pasta restaurants and call it Gethsemane. <laughs>
0: Gethsemane Stan, Sam Sam, Sam. Yeah. You get you, you get what I'm going
1: for. <laughs> um <laughs> What a convoluted joke. <laughs> <laughs> um But just I, I did not expect that those words to come up when they did.
0: Yeah, that was hilarious. Uh, a strange anachronism. Yeah. I do wonder if the Olive Garden is supposed to be a religious reference now, like the restaurant.
1: I don't um, think so because their whole their whole thing is just Italy family. You know, they're just yeah. like the. They're not even really like an Italian restaurant. They're like an Italian American. Re- they're like, if your grandparents are from Italy, you will like the Olive Garden. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I saw recently an Olive Garden. Uh, commercial from probably like the seventies or eighties or something like that that was talking about how like it's the taste of Italy it's so authentic the Olive Garden come to the Olive Garden and get a get a, a taste of real Italy it's also funny that
1: everyone everyone I know that is like a legit Italian does not care for the Olive Garden they're like no it's awful
0: <laughs> I feel like nobody cares for Olive Garden
1: um, I just think it's funny that like the the specific demographic that they're pandering to. Yeah. Is like, no, we can cook our own food because we know how.
0: <laughs> <sighs> well, speaking of uh, meals, um, this uh, this talks about the this has another Da Vinci type framing of uh, the Last Supper. Um, the interesting thing about this one, though, is that um, it's pulled like a lot further back. It's it's and it's kind of from an angle. Um, yeah, it's the, it's
1: not really framed the same way as as the Da Vinci painting.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess it's it's the same table and the same layout, and maybe that's just the canonical you know table yeah. placements at at the Last <laughs> Supper. Canonical. Um, but the, the interesting thing is that it's like they took the camera of the Da Vinci. Composition, and then just like pulled it a little further back and put it askew, and and I was thinking like that's weird, like this di- this table so distant, you know, it's kind of kind of strange that they would take this important scene and put it so far away from the camera. Um, but they, but but she did it uh, with a purpose uh, because the the pulled backedness was to show some angels appearing. Uh, above Jesus mm. in the negative space above the table right. and those angels freak out Judas and he leaves um, and then Judas comes like across the frame like from, from the right side all the way to the left side toward the camera and so the the, the reason it was like off to the side and kind of askew was so that uh, Judas could like run across the frame in a really dynamic way which mm-hmm. you know, sure. yeah, sure maybe that's, just, that's a justification for that shot I think it was kind of cool
1: Um, yeah, I mean, that's something that, um, I know that, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, the Greek director of, uh, The Lobster and The Favourite will do occasionally, I think he does it more in his older movies, um, where you'll see a scene that's just framed super weirdly, and you're like, Mm -hmm. why is, like, why is it framed like this? And then something happens, and you're like, oh, now it all makes sense, like, the blocking will change, and the actors will move to a different place, and suddenly, like, it, yeah, it looks <laughs> reasonable
0: um, considering that most people aren't really doing complex arrangements of different shots medium shots lo- wide shots that kind of thing and a lot of stuff is being arranged on big tableaus um, I guess it makes sense that if you want to do more than one thing in a scene you would frame for both of those things mm. rather than just cutting which yeah. people don't often think to do at this time
1: yeah. I mean yeah, I think Jorgos Lanthimos is doing it very purposefully. Sure. Um whereas I think in, in these movies it's more that they didn't think to move the camera or like didn't didn't really have the option to. Yeah. Um but it's it is interesting either way. Yeah. Um
0: Do you have anything else to say about Jesus?
1: Uh no, I don't think so. Um See you later, Jesus. Uh another Elise Gee film from this year that I don't really have a lot to say about, I just appreciate the title, it is A Story Well Spun, which is about a guy who gets into a barrel and rolls down a hill. Um, yep.
0: Similar to uh, The the Mattress Maker. the right. mattress. It's another yeah.
1: guy gets inside of an object and the hijinks yep. happen. And,
0: and gets hurt. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Um, but you made, I guess, some more sort of uh, like social commentary movies
0: this year? Yeah, The Consequences of Feminism.
1: Ooh. And when when
0: you hear about a movie from 1906 called The Consequences of Feminism, you kind of go like, ooh,
1: uh-oh. yikes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, and... Again, like we were talking about with with Melies and his opinion on on Satan, I'm not exactly sure where, like, ethically this film is trying to align itself. I I think it's just trying to be silly. Yeah, I
1: I think the the title is a joke, that it's like, ooh, the consequences of feminism is that women are going to smoke cigars and, like, boss around men. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, and the, the men are gonna put on makeup and act all demure and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of fun. It's fun. It is. It's it's, cin- it's cinema's first femboys. Yeah. Um.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, the, um, I think it was a Letterboxd review that was just, like, uh, it's like, all the women in this are just, like, drinking and smoking cigars and, like, kicking ass. Like, this this movie's great.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say, like, Cause it, it, you're making a movie called "The Consequences of Feminism." It's saying something. Even mm-hmm. like anthropologically speaking, it's it's saying something. Yeah. Um. I, I, this this um suffrage stuff was, as we heard in the news, kind of part of part of the um. It, it was in the air. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, at, at this time, and this is a movie called "The Consequences of Feminism" being made by at this time still the first and only female director. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, it's not trying to take a hard stance, which maybe that's probably a self-preservation thing in some way. You know, I I don't know how much guff she got for being a woman director, but it might not have been zero.
1: Yeah. Um, I I very much doubt it was zero. um, Just considering the olden times and how terrible they were. Yeah. Um and yeah, I, I, this movie doesn't feel like it's a hugely like stabbing political statement, right? It is mostly just silliness, and I think yeah. that was kind of the intention, but I also don't think that uh like I, I do think her underlying point with it is like gender roles are kind of imbalanced and silly, and, and when, arbitrary. when and yeah. when you switch them everything kind of feels ridiculous. Um yeah, I mean, there's something that seems sort of transgressive
0: about it. it through through silliness, um, yeah. The the men and women keep their masculine and feminine clothes, so it's all of these women in dresses who are acting gruff and and picking up dudes. Yeah. Um, and there's all these guys in like suits and straw hats and whatever um, uh, who are just. You know, acting all all fem and ironing clothes, um, and you could look at this movie and think that that these things are just to be gawked at. Um, that it's the joke is that the men are feminine and that the women are masculine, mm-hmm. and that's not not the joke. But I think, like you're saying, it it is getting at something broader about like the arbitrarity of these um, gender roles.
1: Yeah, no, I I do think there is definitely a definite sort of like uh, intent and sort of like um, you know I I I think that she did have something to say with this movie. It wasn't completely silliness, yeah. and I I also think it's like I I can't really imagine anyone else making this movie at this time period. Like
0: they would do a worse job of it, certainly. For sure, they, their, yeah. their sexism would sneak in. Um, um, I mean, the, the previous movie that we saw that tackled this kind of uh, topic was Women's Rights, uh, where, Oof. <laughs> where uh, for for daring to talk about wanting to vote, uh, some women get what they deserve and have their skirts nailed to a fence
1: <laughs> in a very uh, confusing scene that is poorly poorly staged. Yeah, and I I feel like. Uh, is one one of the few people who is kind of, uh, making, like, what's the right word? I guess just like political films? Because, I mean, George Melier's has kind of gotten into that a little bit with the the Dreyfus affair. Yeah. Um, I guess Zeka a little bit with his sort of moralizing, like, Mm -hmm. anti alcohol films.
0: And I guess, uh, uh Edison and uh Porter with their
1: moralizing pro-alcohol films. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Um but yeah, it is like uh it, it feels very much it feels very of the moment it feels it feels like something we were just talking about how alisky seemingly has sort of like a uh, a comparative lack of like authorial voice sometimes. Mm-hmm. Whereas this feels like that's coming through pretty strongly. Like it doesn't feel like something that any of these other filmmakers that we're following would have made.
0: It feels like one of her comedies. Certainly. Yeah. yeah. It's a little, it's still a little tough to define exactly what makes her voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, not like Melies, who's very distinctive, but yeah. um, yeah, her comedies do have a certain
1: vibe to them yeah. that, um, I mean, that even, others don't. Even the, her mattress movie, was like primarily through the point of view of a woman as opposed to Melies's, which is if, if there's any point of view character in that one, it's the tramp. Right. (sighs) Ah, well, um, I don't have a good segue from here. (laughs) I don't know how we're (laughs) going to get to the next stuff.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'll, I'll give it a try. Um, so this French film scene is just exploding. Uh, lately. Mm. Um, there's a couple different big companies that are uh, uh, working on these movies. Um, Melies is seemingly kind of doing all of this stuff on his own. You know, He started his own studio, but it's sort of an indie operation. He's just shooting it in literally his backyard, mostly. Um, and Elise Guy is working for Gaumont, um, the film company. Uh, and there's another company that uh, was... After Gaumont was the second film company ever ever founded, uh, is Pathé, uh, which uh, they've been doing a bit here and there. Uh, zecca has yeah. been working for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're hiring all these new people lately, and they're making some bangers Oh yeah, uh, uh, this year.
1: And um, just a lot of stuff. Yeah, tons. Um, um, I can sort of tie this in with Lise Guy a bit. I one of the movies I watch uh, for this year that uh if not a banger it's pretty pretty solid is the spring fairy and mm-hmm. I do not know who directed this one because it is oh my gosh it is yeah. so confusing uh on the internet it is directed by either Ferdinand zecca or Aliski or Segundo de chamon or and it was
0: either ma- or. or
1: Vincent laurent uh Heil, Heilbronn.
0: And it was either made in 1902
1: or 1906. (laughs) Or 1904. Oh my god. (laughs) Um, So there is no consistency between any of this. Like, some say it's 1902 and it's Aliski. Some say it's Aliski and it's 1906. Some say it's it's Ferdinand Zeka and it's 1906. I will say that,
0: like, I think we're talking about stylistic voice here. And I think if we're looking at style, this seems like a 1906 Segundo de Chamon. Movie agreed,
1: yeah. I, I think that is correct. Um, uh, yeah, based on the other stuff of his that I watched from this year, it seems yeah. pretty consistent with those. Um, particularly with the um, one of the most, the coolest and most sort of like uh standout things from it is the um, the hand coloration, which mm-hmm. seems a little bit more um, intentional. In this than others like in other movies it's sort of like they're just kind of here here here's some colors of things to kind of give this some pop and some pizzazz yeah whereas in this it's used in almost more of like a Wizard of Oz or Sin City or Schindler's List kind of way where it's very deliberate which things are in color and which things are in black and white yeah Um, the basic plot of this one is there is uh, a couple living out in the in the woods and it's snowing, and it's winter, and they uh, they go inside their house, and an old woman is outside, kind of begging to be let in to the warm inside. And being good people, they let her in, and she, seeing that they're good people and that they let her inside, she removes her her cloak or whatever and reveals she's a a, a, a magical fairy who's yep. who's young and 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 uh, colorful. Um, the whole thing has been in black and white and once the, the, the spring fairy reveals herself as yeah. a, as a supernatural being, um, she is all, uh, hand, co- hand colored. Um,
0: yeah, I believe, um, it's, uh, stencil coloring that Pathé does. Yeah. All, all, all Pathé movies, if I'm not mistaken, are stencil coloring. So it's,
1: it's a bit more, it's a bit cleaner, I think, looking than some of the, like, the other hand-painted movies that we've watched.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah.
1: And then she goes outside and summons a bunch of flowers. Um
0: She takes the winter away.
1: Yeah. She she brings the spring, I guess. Yeah. Um and there's some cool like uh like reverse motion of her like pulling flowers into her hands. Mm hmm Um And uh Yeah, it's a cool movie.
0: It's good, it's really it's really pretty and you can find yeah. a, a, a very um uh good looking restoration online, yeah, if you look in the right places
1: um but yeah that that really stuck out to me of how like i just how like t- specific and deliberate the which things had color and which things didn't
0: yeah which was cool. yeah i didn't I, all all actually, of the flowers that just completely I, passed me by all yeah. the
1: flowers have color outside when they're when they're being summoned
0: <laughs> yeah and um and there's a there's a part where the the couple are trying to they kind of signal that they want a baby by like rocking their oh, arms that's emptily right, yeah. and uh and the spring fairy for their niceness she brings she brings the spring and then she also gives them some magic orange flowers and they put the orange flowers on their table and the the flowers kind of expand and then and then they pull two babies out See, and I, babies. I didn't
1: get the the prompt before that that they wanted babies so when they pulled mm-hmm. babies out of the flowers I was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> Didn't no, say that. No, I think coming. that was,
0: I think she was like, I'll grant you a wish. And, uh, and yeah. they wanted babies. And so maybe that's why people are linking it to Elise Guy Blanchet because it's like, it, it, it's a fairy that's pulling babies out of plants. Yeah. Which is a common theme with her.
1: Yeah. Um, um but this
0: really feels like a Chamon to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, the only other one of his movies that I, Really have anything I think to say about it, is miniature theater,
0: yeah, which, which is
1: pretty which wild. Is so good, <laughs> it's so crazy. Yeah, it's so good
0: that I'm. I doubt. I, I I had doubts that it came out this year. You know, well because it, everything seems to indicate that it did.
1: Yeah. Um. It seems pr- like a pretty big milestone, I guess. Yeah, in that it uses actual stop motion animation mm-hmm. as opposed it's to like. like cutouts which we've kind of seen before but those kind of I think kind of
0: yeah or like drawings on
1: a chalkboard or something yeah which aren't really stop motion yeah Uh, Um, where's this is
0: this is is called miniature theater or Bob's electric theater Mm. is another name for it Yeah, Um, Bob's electric theater (laughs) Uh, it is a so it starts out and it's like three kids playing in the Ritzy old timey playroom, um, and they have a little uh, set uh, like a stage with mm-hmm. um, with curtains on it. That's probably three feet wide yeah. by laptop a foot size, and a half tall, something like that. sure, laptop size. I don't know. <laughs> um, they put it down on a table. Uh, basically, it's it's a stage for doing like hand puppets in or something like that, um, and it's this wide shot where you see the kids putting it down and then it actually kind of like punches in. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it goes to a closer in shot that it just, the, the, the fake stage encompasses the whole screen and, and then it plays, uh, four acts, one of which is lost, um, of different, uh, of stop motion animated, like figurines.
1: Yeah. Doing Tricks. stuff. Yeah
0: and it looks so good.
1: <laughs> it's it, it looks, wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's in color too. It's in really good stencil color. Mm-hmm. Um, um it did feel kind of uh like a lot of or like a, a fair amount of some of these early films, it felt very like student filmy to me. Mm-hmm. Um just because I feel like they both have this thing of kind of like, an excitement and a, a kind of a rawness to them of just, like, oh, wait, we can, like, we can do stop motion? Let's just have, like, objects dance around because we can. Right. Um, right. And that's that's very much what this is. Like, the table, like, does, like, spins around a bunch of times, and then, like, this thing, like, does a somersault, and then, you know. Yeah, it's um, a little
0: indulgent, but I don't think it's, like, too indulgent.
1: <laughs> no, not at all. And it's still, considering this is the earliest instance I've ever seen of that, Ever, it's it's nuts. It's like this is a crazy new innovative thing.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah. So there's like so like a boxing match, and there's uh there's a guy doing gymnastics on some bars. Um. It's the, the gymnastics is a little a little herky jerky. Um. <laughs> but it's still kind of wild how um these kind of animation principles of anticipation and and follow through of actions uh they they have they're somewhat doing it in this like very very early maybe first stop motion animation yeah um they internalize a lot of what makes good animation even Mm -hmm. if they weren't practiced at it
1: yeah i mean especially considering like stop motion was like one of the main sort of like visual effects techniques up through, like, the 80s. Um, yeah. The 1980s, I should say. Um, like, it's it's a pretty, it's like a, a, a film staple. Um, and this being the first instance that I've ever seen of it, um, that feels pretty significant.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: Uh, another Pathé guy that yep. did some, some real bangers this year was uh, Albert Cap. I would,
0: prob- I would probably say Albert, Al- if I wanted Albert. to be fancy about Albert
1: it. Albert Capalani. Was he, Ital- he wasn't Italian, though. He was French. Yeah. Je ne sais pas. Um, his, like, I guess his big his big movie this year was Aladdin and his Wonder Lamp. Yeah, which seems
0: to be the first direct adaptation of Aladdin.
1: Yeah, we've seen, like, Thousand and One Nights stories being adapted but we'd never seen like Aladdin. Mm-hmm. Um and it I was kind of surprised by how familiar it is. Yeah. It's like, oh no, this is just Aladdin. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I expected it to be like not really that recognizable, and I'm like, no, no, no this is this is Aladdin. Like I, I get it.
0: <laughs> I was a little confused though because I'm like I'm I'm used to Aladdin being like a spry young hunk. And, right. In this movie, he's kind of he's kind of schlubby and, yeah, he, and likes naps.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is like the uh, this is like the the Seth Rogen Aladdin. Um, he's also supposed to be married. I think I I got the impression that he had a wife. I couldn't tell if that was like supposed
0: to be his mom or his wife or something like that.
1: It's a woman that he lives with, and it's it's, yeah. un- it's unclear what their relationship is. <laughs> um, I did because it's a silent film and the version of it that I watched had no soundtrack. I just listened to the Disney soundtrack. Um oh, good. which I put
0: on I just searched uh, a Al- like Arabian music.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, the the Disney Aladdin soundtrack works pretty great with this. Um mm. and it you know, it kind of hits a lot of the it's about 14 minutes, um mm-hmm. but it hits a lot of the main kind of Aladdin beats. Yep. Of like meeting the mysterious stranger who then takes him to the cave where he gets trapped and uh, meets the genie. You know, he finds the lamp, he gets trapped in the cave. Uh, he rubs the lamp and the genie pops out and the genie helps him escape. The genie kind of makes him into a prince and he goes to meet the, the princess at the palace. Um, the, the lamp gets stolen by the evil guy I don't think yeah, it's he's
0: called I think he's called the magician in this right he's he's not like the vizier
1: like he is in the cartoon um there's a magician that steals the lamp and then uh in this one there's like not another genie but there's like a sort of fairy godmother person mm-hmm. that uh that helps him when when uh the lamp gets stolen more you know French movies they just
0: it, it's it's not Deus Ex Machina, it's Deus Ex like random magic lady who yeah. just appears, Always. you know. <laughs> that that's very common. <laughs> to give the hero a sword. Um including in this too.
1: Yeah. Um but it's you know, it's very uh you know, it's it's fourteen minutes, but it, it, it it's well paced. Yeah. Um it's good storytelling. Good yeah. visual storytelling. Um Uh this one also gets attributed a lot to to different directors. Um. Hmm. this one also I've seen credited to uh, Segundo de uh, Chamon who I think did the stencil colors for it but probably didn't direct it I think that is uh,
0: uh, a source of a bit of confusion with a lot of these Pathé movies is Segundo de Chamon worked on uh, like di- basically as like a director of photography I think mm-hmm. to a lot of other directors at Pathé um, including like um, Gaston Vell and Albert Capellani, and I think he's worked with Zecca too. Yeah,
1: um, Zecca I see was also like I've seen this credit to him too. I got the sense that he was also at Pathé, and maybe he like produced it or kind of helped on it. But yeah,
0: I mean really Zecca was Zecca was at Pathé. Uh, Albert Capellani mm-hmm. was actually basically like an understudy of, yeah. of Ferdinand Zecca, um, and so. Um, yeah, so that guy, like brought on this new generation of <laughs> new generation, like three years later or something yeah. of, uh, of, of new directors. And he, he, he uh, taught them the ropes, I guess.
1: Um, this Capelani film is kind of, kind of Melies-esque, I think in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. But his other two that I watched are, feel like they're more him kind of like moving in his own direction a bit with like, uh, I don't know what to call it, like, um, like domestic melodramas, I guess, sort of. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, one being The Bell Ringer's Daughter, which uh, is gorgeous. It's a gorgeously shot, but it is it is another sort of like dad being upset because his daughter married a, a asshole <laughs> movies, which is a subgenre I'm not really a fan of. And it's like, The whole thing of, like, it's about the bell ringer's daughter, but it's not really about the bell ringer. Like, why is he the title, you know?
0: I don't know. I guess that's true, yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing, is it's like, uh, maybe once we get to talking, too, uh, I feel like we've been pretty lucky in this podcast of not having to encounter too much icky
1: old politics. Not too much, you know? Oh, we'll get to it. Pretty soon, um, yeah. But yeah, you're but, right. It's it's been it's been nice how how infrequently it it kind of pops up, and when it does, yeah. it's just sort of like yikes. Okay, um, right. We haven't really had to like dig too deep into it.
0: Um, but yeah, th- this this and some of those American, uh, um, domestic melodramas that we have talked mm-hmm. about in the last couple weeks, uh, they have some kind of old timey. Politics, which yeah. are not not great. <laughs>
1: Th- this one is is very much similar to the uh, what was the the Porter uh, McCu- the McCutcheon. Miller's daughter. That's what it was. was it? Yeah, this follows a, a kind of a similar plot to that, where it's like a woman marries uh, a um I don't know, I sort of ne'er do well, I guess. <laughs> um, who uh, loses all of their money gambling? and then uh just tries to steal the money back from her dad the bell ringer and so she gets kind of kicked out and lives on the streets and has to give up her daughter she she leaves her daughter on the the church's steps for her dad to take care of and then cut to years later when the daughter is like a a child uh yeah. and she tries to reconnect with them and the dad is like get out of here um but then the daughter kind of is able to uh oh wait no this is a different movie entirely that i'm thinking of aren't i what no no you're right the bell Ringer daughter yeah what was the other one where this same sort of thing happened
0: the law of forgiveness
1: yeah i guess maybe that that one oh my god i'm confusing these two you're you're you're
0: doing it you're doing it correct um because (sighs) if we're comparing these two i wrote uh, this guy likes seeing families being torn apart and sadness, uh, right? Because these two movies are pretty similar.
1: Yeah, the the law of forgiveness is the one that has a sort of reconciliation at the end, I believe. Though,
0: um, they both kind of do, yeah. Mm. Uh, but yeah, there, there's a there's um in the law of forgiveness, uh, there is um. Uh, a divorce, uh, and, and I think like the, the man sees his wife like writing to some other suitor and he gets, he gets mad and divorces her. And there's this whole courtroom scene. The daughter is crying. Um, and, uh, there, there's a point like after the divorce, the daughter gets like super sick and the dad doesn't know what to do. He calls a doctor over or a nun. And, um, the wife dresses up like a nun and classic boy. Uh, yeah. And tries to, she, she says like, Hey, tries to hatch a scheme with the nun. And the nun's like, all right, I got you. And then she puts on the nun hat and tries to see her daughter as the nun and, and hide herself from, from the dad. Um, and the daughter instantly gets better upon seeing her mom. And, um, the the nun the whole the, the getting the nun costume took like two or three minutes to making that whole thing happen, and then the, the guy sees through the nun disguise immediately. Because
1: it's like <laughs> it's not covering her face. Like it's not yeah. a great
0: disguise. She's just putting on a habit. Um back
1: in the habit. Um Uh One thing about these two uh is I think I think they use film language really well. Hmm. Um and it's cool to see uh I don't know it's like it's it feels like Capolani is coming at it from kind of a different direction than other people are where he's he's really seeing it as like a sort of new storytelling medium as opposed yeah. to sort of like a a new kind of canvas for old stuff he's like kind of telling pretty uh you know not th- super remarkable stories with it but he is doing it in a way where it's like He's, he's trying u- to tell human stories. Yeah, and he's he's utilizing, I think, uh, like framing and editing in really cool ways, um, that feel feel a bit more modern than a lot of the other films that we're seeing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, some of the pacing in in these two, uh, could use some work. It's not quite Porter bad, but it's um, it it could be a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but yeah. uh, these are going for something. They're reaching in the direction that silent drama will be going. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Rather than the directions that a lot of these other movies are pointing.
1: Should we talk about arguably the most important film of 1906?
0: Oh, thanks for getting me back on track. Yes, let's talk about arguably... The
1: the, the Big Daddy is i believe oh your God. your preferred uh, no no <laughs> terminology
0: no let's not make this a thing <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay okay um the story of the kelly gang the yeah. first the first feature length film which is of course partial feature length narrative film feature length yes. narrative film that's not the just feature
0: length non-boxing film <laughs> yeah exactly
1: it is unfortunately partially lost so it's not actually feature length in its current form yeah um Um, but it was when it came out so it counts
0: yep it was about an hour long apparently it's a little it's unclear um how long it was um but well it depends on
1: frame rates and things also so
0: that's true um at i believe at 18 frames per second it's roughly 15 minutes of footage Mm -hmm. uh but uh, there's a video on YouTube, uh, it's probably just taken from some DVD or something like that, that uh, is an Australian group that recreated um, tried to recreated what was missing through their own intertitles and through uh, production images and just stuff that they were able to scrape together mm-hmm. of the scenes that were missing, uh, which is about half an hour worth of content.
1: Um, yeah, one thing is, this is an Australian movie, which is... Yep. Kind of wild that, uh you know, we're we're following like the Americans, the Brits, the French, and then the Australians come out with like one of the biggest innovations that we've seen thus far. Yeah, just it's making good. just making a really long movie. Yeah, but I mean, um,
0: I like it doesn't. I mean, you know, again, like we were talking about the melier stuff. Uh, maybe it's due to being cut down, or not cut mm-hmm. down, but lost so much. But uh this thing's got a good pace to it, and it's telling yeah. a very complex story oh yeah uh for something of this time and it tells it at least with the intertitles mm-hmm. uh that have been added on and uh and recreated it tells it well yeah
1: um it's not it's a lot of s- stuff but it's not too confusing mm-hmm. um, um I think one thing that helps like the melier stuff is like it's kind of um It's mostly like the back half of the movie That remains yeah. Um, And so you miss a lot of the kind of like the setup But really the way that things Kind of play out is mostly intact And so that that it gives it The stuff that remains still has Some sort of narrative cohesion To it Um, Reading about this movie um, And sort of the making of it it, I do definitely get the sense um, It was directed by a guy named Charles Tate who uh, was a sort of, um, I don't know what the right terminology would be, but he was uh, sort of a promoter, I guess, or a, um, a producer of of, uh, of, st- of stage, of the theater mm-hmm. in Australia, um, and was just sort of excited and, and taken with the, this new this new film thing, which has taken off, that he kind of just got his family together and was like, all right, let's go make a movie. Um do the rest of it that way. No, uh, and they they kind of just went out into the into the outback, um, or like behind their house, and and made you know the first feature film ever. Um, and I, you know I don't think they set out to be like we're gonna be the first like hour long movie. I think mm-hmm. you know they were just sort of like we're gonna make this movie about local legend Ned Kelly, and it came out to be an hour, and that was a a, a big innovation.
0: Yeah. Um Yeah. Uh I didn't really know. I'd never heard of Ned Kelly uh oh, really? until now. Um the bush ranger. Yeah. Uh That's right. Uh this movie is very cowboy, which yeah. I guess that a bush ranger is basically the the well, it's like it's like an outlaw
1: more than a cowboy, really.
0: Yeah, it's a black hat cowboy. Yeah. Uh is 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 a bush ranger. Um this this has the feeling of a anti-hero spaghetti western. You know, yeah, sure. yeah, for it sure. follows it follows some villains, but you know you're kind of rooting for them even
1: as they're killing people. You know, well, and it also like it takes such a like a decidedly pro Ned Kelly stance, where it's uh-huh. you're kind of seeing like corrupt lawmen after them, and like uh, you know it's they they are like thieves and and. Kind of bandits, but they—they they have the the film definitely sort of like puts them on kind of a moral high ground to a degree.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, especially in the way that it kind of underscores how they won't rob from women and children; they'll only rob from men. Mm-hmm. You know, um, even though there's this guy who uh, they rob from it at one point in the movie. He just comes in with his with his trading. With his uh his cart full of wares that he he's a hawker and he mm. and he's he's trading and then they're just like hey we're gonna steal all your stuff and he's like oh please <laughs> please no oh my god this is my entire livelihood and they go shut up go away
1: <laughs> um one kind of interesting thing is it was it was only made twenty six years after the death of Ned Kelly which is like soon enough that it was kind of if not a recent thing it was like hmm. i don't know I, I it makes sense once i read that but i was like oh yeah like that was not you know that wasn't like an, an old story it was like more of a contemporary thing yeah it's um, kind of funny
0: when you see these movies that have that are not historical uh, uh, and they are they have horse and buggies in them and you're like oh yeah right it's olden yeah, times like the they, movies that we're watching yeah, are from olden times they just went
1: outside and those things were there um <laughs> Yeah, I mean this. Even though it's it's hard to get a really kind of accurate assessment of what the full film was like, because more than half of it is lost. Yeah. Um, but definitely what what is watchable is pretty cool and compelling. Yeah. Um, it is, I think, noticeably kind of less refined or less polished than a lot of other movies, particularly in the acting. I felt like there was more of a feeling that I was watching people acting like it, it did definitely kind of have the, the vibe of Charles Tate just kind of got his friends and family together and just was like, we're making a movie. Come on, let's go. And they're just like, okay. (laughs) Like, you know, that, uh, I feel like with, with a lot of the sort of like pantomime and things we're seeing from other films, there is this sort of like very, the timing of it is very precise and, And, -hmm. uh, uh, you know, there's a real sense of like refined performance to it. Whereas this is, is much more just kind of, all right, get out there and like, pretend you're shooting a guy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. That didn't really come across to me. I I feel like it was a bit more smooth for me. Um, uh, maybe the acting was a little aimless, but, uh, I felt like the scenes weren't too much. Um, there was that, that. There was that scene at the post where they were robbing the post, the, the the um, I don't know, trading stop or whatever yeah. that went a little long. But each scene was punctuated by uh, title cards that were telling you, like, the next thing that was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I felt like, r- rather than Edwin S. Porter, who just leaves you in a scene with very little context <laughs> for and shows a bunch of stuff that's not relevant to what's happening yeah um this movie is fairly on task and it helps you stay on task by having liberal uh uh title cards mm-hmm. um even though yeah some maybe some of the like scene with intra scene acting might be a little loose mm-hmm.
1: um apparently when it when it played live uh you know, in 1906, they had a sort of live sound effects with uh, with gunshots and uh, coconut horse hooves and the like,
0: um, which is pretty fun. <laughs> a la fun. Monty Python. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, the movie does, I think, have a, a, a really cool, like, finale of of Ned Kelly's last stand. Yeah. His famous last stand with his armor getting, getting gunned down. Um...
0: Speaking of Monty Python, like that Black Knight armor, basically, yeah, it looks
1: pretty similar. It's true. Um, yeah, it's like it's a cool, like dramatic scene. Um, yeah, well staged. Yeah,
0: the the armor looks really cool too. I looked at a picture of the real armor, and it's pretty accurate to the screen.
1: Yeah, um, it's kind of cobbled together. Uh, I don't know. Supposedly bulletproof armor. It's yeah. it's pretty nuts that. Uh, that that worked, yeah there's a
0: really cool scene of of uh, Ned Kelly's last stand and he's like walking toward the cops while they're shooting at him and the bullets are just like bouncing off yeah. of his, oh, <laughs> off great. of his armor <laughs>
1: yeah um uh Charles Tate never made any other films this was his sole film as a director hmm which is kind of interesting like he you know he like he got he got together and he made this one movie and then he was like all right we're done. <laughs> we did it. Um I couldn't really find a whole lot of information about him as a person. Um so a lot of a lot of my sort of like idea of of how he approached making this is kind of just based on the conjecture of that of the fact that he wasn't really a filmmaker before or after like he kind of just did this as a one-off. Um and that he did uh use a lot of his family as for crew and as actors. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I think this is a. It's even if it doesn't necessarily feel like it while you're watching it, it is certainly a a landmark in film history.
0: Yeah.
1: <sighs> um, where to go next? Well, I feel like we we gotta get down to it and talk about uh, the Americans. I mean, what we we we, we mentioned uh, Porter. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, story of the Kelly gang probably feels most similar to his stuff because it is like, it's all shot out or mostly shot outside. Um, and it has that kind of like, um,
0: people uh, with guns in the woods. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Um, uh, I only watched two sort of, uh, Porter McCutcheon co-directed films, um, Mm -hmm. This year, and they they weren't they weren't like that. They were kind of uh, they did feel like they're maybe branching out a bit from their guys with guns in the woods stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was I I think probably the most the biggest Porter one from this year is Dream of a Ra- Dream of a Rare Bit Fiend. Yes. Gotta love a movie with fiend in the title. <laughs>
0: the the starting with the x ray Fiends, yeah
1: which i i like this one I thought this was fun because it's uh yeah it's it's nice and short uh it's a comedy
0: it's another adaptation of a comic book uh this yeah. one by windsor mckay uh who is who will be will be revisiting soon i mm. think um with good old gertie
1: it's also um, cool looking at looking at the original comic strip that it's based on and how close it follows it, like in in, in framing and everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's some shots that are, like, borrowed from that original strip. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, yeah, good. I mean, it's, it's a good adaptation. Um, the, one of the coolest things in this movie um, is this uh, double exposure. Yeah. It's
1: a triple like, exposure, I think. It's like...
0: Oh, maybe, yeah. It's
1: like two different shots of, like, the street just, like, shaking.
0: Yeah, kind of tilting back and forth uh and uh the the, <laughs> the foreground and the background are tilting in opposite directions across each other uh so it it gives you this really like uh
1: disorienting like,
0: ha- disorienting yeah. hallucinatory kind of sickening uh uh vision um and it's really cool looking it's a good yeah. use of the double exposure
1: yeah it's great um this movie feels way more like experimental and surreal than any of the other like porter mccutcheon films that we've seen
0: yeah i mean if you're adapting like windsor mckay and a little nemo type stuff that checks out yeah um uh there's a little bit of light stop motion in this one it's not it's not really anything to write home about Mm. uh it's just some like chairs moving away uh, like scrambling away uh oh right more, more of an effect um uh one one of the other really cool shots in this one is uh him it's a, it's a pretty close up shot which is rare um of him in the bed and the bottom half of the frame is his head and he's dreaming and then above above the bed frame uh it creates like a flat line above him the top of the bed frame and it's black behind that uh, above that frame mm-hmm. and then from his dream you see three little devil children uh come up and then start like stabbing his head uh, <laughs> with their pitchforks.
1: Um, um. Yeah. Great. Great stuff.
0: Yeah. And then his bed flies out the window. You do. Um, you
1: don't hear a lot about uh rarebit these days. So that was something I had to look up. Same. <laughs> um. I think the only time I've ever heard about rarebit before was in the movie Phantom Thread. Um, it's. It turns uh, out it's just cheese on toast. <laughs> it's pretty.
0: <laughs> yes, it was originally called Welsh Rabbit, but then it didn't have any rabbit in them in it, so they said they called it Welsh Rarebit. Right. Uh,
1: really, you should just call it cheese on toast, because that's what it is. Yeah. Um The only other Porter movie I watched, which is also co directed by Wallace McCutcheon, is Three American Beauties. Which um is is just it's not a comedy, but I found it very silly.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, what, 30 seconds
1: long or something? Yeah, it's it's three shots of three American beauties, those yep. being a rose, a lady, and the flag. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah, uh, I wrote some rich colors, jingoistic.
1: Yeah, the, <laughs> the colors are genuinely lovely. Um,
0: yeah, it's hand-painted, uh, so th- they're... They they bleed out of the edges of where they're supposed to be a little bit, but at least as far as the restoration goes or the preservation of it, uh, it uh, the colors are really pop. Yeah, uh, which does sell the beauty of the three um, objects.
1: Yeah, I'm just like oh boy, these these guys. Um, <laughs> uh, Wallace McCutcheon though on his own made another pretty uh, groundbreaking film in some ways, The Black Hand.
0: Yeah, groundbreaking in that it is the first gangster movie.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, it is. It is way too long.
0: Yes, like this is
1: like a five-minute movie that goes on for twelve minutes.
0: Uh, yeah, that's that's about right. Uh, could have they could have they could have reduced it a little bit and made it pack a bit more of a punch. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's like some some gangsters try to uh, blackmail this butcher. Yeah. For $1,000. Uh, and they,
1: $1, say...
0: <laughs> and they, uh, uh, they say they'll kidnap his daughter and blow up his shop. And there's a, there's a good um, <laughs> close up, I guess of uh, the, the letter that they sent him. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure if it's like trying to be silly because the letter, uh, the letter has like all of this misspellings in it. And it, the, the, the way that it's framed, it's like they write this letter, this ransom letter to him when he's drunk, or, or when they're drunk, and so yeah. you see the, the words kind of spilling all over the page and everything.
1: There is definitely this this sort of thing in the film, which I don't immediately want to attribute to, like, racism, but there is this thing of, like, the 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 gangsters being very kind of, like, stereotypical, like, working class... Mm. I don't know Italians. Yeah, and it's yeah. like it's not explicit in the movie, but it's like it's there enough where it's like mm, this feels like, if not icky, icky adjacent. This uh, it's kind of like um,
0: that uh, Porter alcohol movie where like the joke is that the Irish guy wants an entire bucket full of but of beer.
1: Right. Know? Well, as as a, a, a semi-Irish myself, that I'm, I will just say that that is based <laughs> purely on fact. That is that is all facts right there. Um I can say it's okay if I do. Um <laughs> Uh one thing this movie does do very well I think and I think a lot of the American movies have done well is incorporating uh like location shooting and like like this has this is shot on the streets presumably of New York. Yeah. Um and that gives it a very kind of like grounded lived-in feeling.
0: Suppose that's true even even though like some of the interior sets feel very like fake. drawn on cardboard. Yeah.
1: And it, it, it is funny too because because of that like the interior sets feel so cheap but then like the outside is just like it's just the street. And so th- there's yeah. a there's a stronger disconnect there of like one of these things is very fake. The thing that uh, one one
0: little thing that confused me a little bit and I still don't have the answer to about this is that um this was made by McCutcheon for Biograph, which mm. I thought like he left Biograph to work with Edwin S. Porter at the um, Edison Company.
1: Um, I guess he so was, I don't know if he, he, like he went back
0: or or maybe he's doing
1: both. Yeah. Mm. Um, this one's got a bunch of title cards, which is, uh, I guess, not that significant in in American film. Um, one of them in particular stuck out as kind of grammatically confusing um it's uh talking about when the the sort of cops stage their ambush for the the mobsters who were coming back to to collect i guess after kidnapping this guy's daughter um the title card reads a clever arrest actually as made by the new york detectives (laughs) which then also kind of gives away the ending of that like there's all this sort of like hitchcocky intention that scene where the cops are like hiding in a refrigerated uh room yeah and they're kind of like slowly freezing in this room and then the it's the butcher's job to like open the door when the the gangsters show up but then like one of the gangsters is standing too close to the door so he can't get the door to open it for the cops to jump out Mm. and it's like that's like a, a that's such a great setup for a scene Hmm. And they really kind of undercut it by being like, this is how the cops arrest them. And it's like, well, come on, man.
0: I suppose. But with a lot of these, like, it's it's a little difficult to tell what's going on unless they tell you what you're about to look yeah. at. Right. Uh, so I understand. It also
1: kind of undercuts the tension that there's a giant window cut in the side of the room that the cops could easily just jump out of the window. Like, they don't need to come through the door. Or be um,
0: seen by the gangsters through the that, window. <laughs> that too
1: is a, a big problem, but you know, it's. I'm willing to guess, forgive some of that with just early movie logic. Um, so we
0: could talk about one other American movie, which the director is unknown of this mm. one, uh, but it was made by the Sidney Lubin Company, um, and is the Secret of Death Valley, uh, which. Is a, um, I mean, it's pretty, It for, 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 for a movie of this time, it's very well preserved. It's very pretty. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it's like a prospector, uh, it's a prospector intrigue movie, <laughs> um, like, um, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, you know? Yeah. It's got a yeah. lot of similar things going on. It does. Yeah.
1: Um... Uh, yeah.
0: There's there are some people uh, who, or there's like a husband and uh, uh, of a wife, uh, <laughs> clearly obviously, um, who goes out with some other guys uh, to go and uh, uh, seek out some treasure, and uh, they they find it. They go into the mountains. There's some beautiful mountain shots, and uh, a- after they get the treasure, uh, they uh, two two of the other guys. Uh, Cap them while they're sleeping. <laughs> and and they run away with the gold. And then one of the two guys caps the other guy. And so there's one guy left. He's killed all four of all, all, right, all three yeah. of the other ones. Betrayed he, all he of his leaves, compatriots. He leaves on his horse with the, with the gold. And the, the, the special thing about that movie is that it has this uh, there's a part that says the wife's vision. Mm-hmm. And uh It does this horizontal split screen uh where um you see the wife on the bottom and she's kind of drifting off kind of into a dream or something like mm-hmm. that and uh she sees a vision of all of this happening, and she somehow kind of knows that this guy double crossed um his her husband and so she wants uh, she wants revenge um and it you, you cut to a bit later and there's a scene called ill-gotten riches um <laughs> and the guy who is now living the high life with his uh, stolen money and you see him almost have like this guilt flashback in the same uh 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 split screen style yeah. so he's on the he's on the bottom just like all of a sudden having like a PTSD like racked with guilt because you see him uh uh killing the other the other three uh and right after that you see the the wife come up and just kill him and then she's yeah. like all right
1: <laughs> job's done <laughs> um yeah it's a it's a cool movie i forget how i even like found that one um, yeah i don't know how
0: you found it either because this is like not talked about anywhere
1: yeah but it was it was i feel like one of the more interesting movies i watched uh this year both yeah. in terms of like yeah just in the way it was kind of using the like split screen kind of parallel action but also like showing like visions and things which we've yeah. seen some of that before but um i don't know this one just really stuck out to me um yeah it's a
0: new way of doing it
1: certainly another movie uh this is a wild segue but i'm trying to trying to get get through them all um Another movie that deals with, like, some, I guess, somewhat psychic stuff is the British <laughs> film by Robert W. Paul, Is Spiritualism a Fraud? Question mark. Question mark. <laughs> Which, yes, according to this film, it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, because another title for it is The Medium Exposed. Yeah. Um, And this and the next one we're going to talk about, these are uh the two final Robert W Paul and Walter R Booth collaborations I believe mm.
1: um oh I didn't realize that these were uh collabs
0: they were yes um and I think I think this is this is the end of it this one's like a fun
1: a fun little trick goofum yeah it's got some floating tambourines and skulls and
0: shit yeah that that part's pretty cool uh there there the medium is doing his whole thing the lights go off and then there there's hands and skulls and tambourines floating all around the screen
1: that part um, actually to me felt kind of like uh david lynchian a bit i could see it like yeah. something th- also because it's old and kind of degraded there's like it's very scratched there's all these film scratches yeah um but it I don't know, it had a it had a quality to it where i was like if david lynch made this i would not be surprised
0: <laughs> um um but anyway, they they turn the lights on and, uh, uh, this is in like a little parlor or whatever. They're having a, uh, uh, the medium do his, do his A, a
1: spiritualism parlor.
0: <laughs> yeah. As they had in the 1800s. Yeah. Um... And, uh, they turn the lights on, then, like, it just turns out that his assistant is sitting there with all of the (laughs) things that were- They were so wowed by the things that were floating, and he's sitting there with them on, like, fishing lines. (laughs) Um, and so, they get mad, and they, uh, they they get so mad at this fraud, uh, that they nail him into a box, and then throw the box (laughs) down a hill. (laughs)
1: Nice nice callback to uh uh a, a, a story well spun. Yeah. Um Yeah. So like it I I do kind of love just there's a quality to these early movies where like the conclusions are often just like sudden and kind of violent and but also very silly. Like the way that they conclude their story is like and then they get thrown in a box, like that's Yeah. <laughs> That's that's deemed like a good enough, you know, way to just wrap everything up. Yeah, um, uh, that
0: movie was, that that movie was seven minutes long, which it could have they could have tightened it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that could have been
1: three or four easy.
0: Another one that they did that was so tight and and really cool, really cool, uh, is the huh, motorist, <laughs> the huh, motorist, the huh motorist. Yeah. <laughs> um. Or at least written as the, quote, question mark, unquote, motorist. Yeah.
1: I think the question mark motorist might be, like, the intended title. But I, I do love how, like, just reading it in my head, there's there's no word there. It's just the, huh? Motorist. <laughs> uh, it's very, a, very silly.
0: Yeah. Uh, so this is, like, another one where... Uh, some cops try and stop somebody from driving somewhere and they <laughs> run over the cops.
1: Um, that old story. <laughs>
0: uh, so there, there are this, there are these two motorists in a car and they're just so whimsical that they can't stop for any reason, including, uh, uh, just running straight over a guy. Um, he gets, he gets mad and starts chasing after them and you're like, oh, okay, it's going to be a chasing after a people in a car movie. One of those types. But then this car turns 2D, scales a the wall. <laughs> they run the car into a wall and it goes up the building.
1: Like like and the f- Batmobile in Batman Forever.
0: I'll take your word for it. And uh, <laughs> and um we'll we'll get to Batman Forever. Uh and it launches off of the building into the stars and it's like It, like, rides across these mountains and then, like, flies off into the stars. It's very much like a George Melies space scene, Mm -hmm. except um, there's something a little more, like, kind of less fanciful and more just, like, playing around with figurines kind of thing.
1: Right. The the, uh, production quality is a little lower than a Melies movie, I think.
0: Yeah, um, but there's something that's charming about it in a different way, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah, um,
1: they drive on the rings of Saturn.
0: That was so cool. Which, that was know, so good.
1: We all we all dreamed to do that.
0: They yeah they they fly up into the air and into the stars and they land on the Saturn rings and they I guess it must have been some kind of miniature like model or whatever that they were just yeah, driving so. around in circles on the on this ring platform. There's also another moon face in this, mm-hmm. but that that moon guy is less bleh and more, mm, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's have, like a handsome have put it better moon.
1: myself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a handsome moon this time.
0: <laughs> George Melies likes uh, disgusting, creepy moons, <laughs> and uh, and the Brits wanted a more handsome moon. Yeah. Uh they fall off the rings of Saturn, they fall down through space right into the courtroom and then the and then the cops are like, "Wait, that was the car that I was chasing." <laughs> and they chase back after it. Uh and they uh they, they they get outside of the courtroom and they get caught by the cops and then the car because they're whimsical magically turns into a horse and buggy and they're like, "Oh, this is just I'm I'm just driving a horse and buggy. There's nothing to this officer. And then they throw off they throw them off their game enough that uh, they throw them off the rhythm, sorry. <laughs> they throw them off their rhythm enough that uh they're like the cops are like, I don't know. We thought this was a car, but I guess it's a horse. <laughs> and uh and so the cops turn their backs and then it magically turns back into a car and they speed away. And that's the end of the movie. <laughs> oh
1: boy, yeah. Um, it's fun. It is very fun. I feel it's, like
0: it's it's good.
1: This one almost kind of feel like it got lost in the shuffle a bit for me in this in this year of film, and definitely going going back over it now. I'm like, this was a good one.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a it's almost like a British chase film, but incorporating some astral f- f- fanciful elements. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And there is uh, one more, I guess, from this year that we can round it out with, all right uh, is humorous Phases of Funny Faces with it, which is the only movie from this year that I'd heard of or seen before. Hmm. Um, I, I've taken a couple of animation classes, and I feel like this is often credited as the first animation movie. Which, in a way, it's like the first kind of drawn animation movie. Some of the... Like, there was an earlier J. Stewart Blackton that was a similar shtick. But I think it was more... uh, Is more of a series of images. Mm -hmm. And less motion. Less persistence of vision kind of motion. Uh, So this is on a a blackboard. And you see a hand come and draw a, a man and a woman and uh the hand exits the frame sort of and
1: uh, comics zone style
0: <laughs> yeah or um Duck Amuck, uh the um the looney tunes short um where uh daffy is like arguing with the animator over how things should be drawn oh. um there's like this big there's this hand that that is this drawing Daffy and it draws him wrong. And he's like, what are you stupid? Like, you know, get out of here. <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's very good. Like meta looney. Tunes. Is it a live uh, action hand? It is. I don't, I don't remember. Mm. I think it isn't. Um, but, uh, I guess the previous Jay Stewart Blackton, a quote unquote animated movie had, it was more of a magic trick kind of thing where mm-hmm. he was interacting with the painting. Yeah. Um, in this one, it's a hand that's drawing the people and it, the hand exits the frame and then they kind of animate for a while mm-hmm. and then the hand kind of comes back in and like erases them. Uh, Comic Zone draws style. A... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Making some Sega Genesis
1: references. <laughs> um, no one else is mentioning Comic Zone anywhere, so I gotta get a couple nope. references in. I I respect that. Um,
0: and, uh... Yeah, I mean, so it's it's on a chalkboard uh and the there is kind of proper animation happening. Um the the there are phases of faces and they're humorous.
1: Um. <laughs> All of those things are
0: correct. Uh so there's a couple of different drawings and they animate in different ways and it's it's rudimentary animation. Um uh but it 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 looks quite nice. Um the the I thought something that was interesting is that all of the animated stuff so far um, is not... I mean, speaking of the hand, right? Because the hand is in this. The hand of the artist is in this. And uh, the animation... All of the animation that we've seen so far does not live in its own world, mm-hmm. right? There's, There is no this is an animated thing and you're watching an animated thing. It, it is all with the framing device of this is being made by people. Right. Like the stop motion this this animation is a drawing earlier
1: that is being yeah. drawn.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe that was just not the kind of thing that people could accept you know, or they hadn't thought of it. It's too, yeah. too wild to imagine a cartoon. <laughs> If you think of Gertie the dinosaur, it's a similar kind of thing. Uh that will be coming up sometime, I don't know when. Mm. Um it's it's a guy presenting an animated dinosaur and talking to the animated dinosaur. Um hmm. Right, yeah. Uh likewise the stop motion thing from uh De Chamon um is supposed to be within a puppet show basically. Mm-hmm. Um and there's another part. Most of it is drawn on the chalkboard, but there's another part that is faking that it's drawn on the chalkboard, uh, but it's actually like a cutout with linked together with little uh, right, armatures yeah. or whatever. Uh, and it's a it's a clown that's tossing a ball back and forth, and there's a dog and everything. So a ball going back mm. and forth, which is a classic first animation thing to do. <laughs> um, uh, but the fun thing about that part is that he. The, the the clown freezes and the cl- and then as it freezes it becomes a drawing partially. So he erases half of the clown and then the clown continues to animate on his other half, uh for for, for a couple seconds, and then it freezes again, turns completely into a drawing, and then he erases the other half of it and that's the end of it. And yeah, it's I mean it's cool. It's good. Yeah. It's uh it's a fun little simple thing, but it's uh it's some real
1: animation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a lot of things from this year, it's, like, taken purely on its own, it's just, like, kind of a fun thing, but definitely, it given its, like, full historical context, it kind of takes on some extra importance. Yeah. I guess that was the theme of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you have a favorite film from 1906? Uh, good
0: question.
1: Hmm.
0: Let me think. Now you say your favorite.
1: Um... This is kind of a hard one to choose. Like normally, I'd just be like one of the Meliers ones, boom, done. Yeah. But um, I uh, I really like the Spring Fairy. Actually, that one hmm. might might be like it's very short and very simple. But that one might be the one I was most most taken with. Um, I think
0: that I think that's a good choice. I I didn't even notice the use of the specific use of color like you were talking about. Honestly, and that's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So uh
0: I think my favorite actually was the drunken mattress. Uh, <laughs> I I laughed really hard at that one. It is uh, it is very funny. It's it's some some dark humor from Gee, yeah. and I'm I'm into it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Great. Well, huh.
0: well, another, another week. Another week, another year. Yeah. Um that's that's that should be a a podcast of um, <laughs> If you if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, find us on YouTube uh, or on your podcast app or wherever. W- w- subscribe to us, listen to us, love us, be our friend. Uh, and with that, Glenn, I'll see you next year. Great, <laughs>
1: great. <that's- laughs> And the wrong great. did come oh, great, great. All right. I'm stopping the recording now. With young Australia okay. growing like a weed, Ned Kelly took
0: the blame, Ned Kelly won the fame, Ned Kelly
1: brought the shame, and then Ned Kelly hanged. Well, he hid out in the bush and in the forest.